Amen. All right. Our dead guy is going to leave. I bet you've never seen that in church before, huh? That's got to be a first, I think. Thank you, Joe. All right. So, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty dramatic for church. But in all reality, uh, we've all experienced this on some level. Okay, maybe you didn't get murdered in church. But everyone has been stabbed in the back. Everyone has gone through betrayal. Everyone has felt, has felt a, a knife that has gone into your heart. Maybe it was like the first time when you were in junior high when your boyfriend or your girlfriend dumped you. Remember that pain that was there where you actually had the physical heartache. And so this is actually um, dealing with, with betrayal and pain. It, 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 we have to pay attention to this because believe it or not, it's, it's a part of the Christian Walk. It's a part of it's the pain is a part of the faith journey and how we deal with it and how we deal with betrayal uh, will mark our spiritual walk. Will mark our spiritual growth. And there is, um, you know, the the story of the Ides of March of the death of Caesar of a man who was uh, he was the ultimate Roman. He was he was he was the perfect man of virtue. And he rises to the to the top. He is he is he reflects secular humanism at its highest, and he, uh, his downfall, whether it, whether it is the fates or whether it was uh, the intrigues of men, he, he chooses to listen to this omen, beware the Ides of March. And, and as I said last week, he, he, he heard this, this omen in the air, and then it caught his attention. And then he, he inquired about it, and then he drew himself into relationship with this omen. And it became reality in his life, and it eventually manifested in his own death. But there's a very similar story in the Bible. It's, it's similar in the way that it's set up. It's similar in the way that the power struggle is, is there. But um, the choices are completely different. The choices that, that one man makes is, was the right choice because he had the heart of God. And in Julius Caesar, we might think that, that noble Brutus acted out of nobility, but he didn't know God. He acted from human endeavor. And so uh, the story, if you haven't guessed, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you have, the story is actually, so Caesar was the first emperor of Rome. He was the first, he was the first king. That's, why, that, that's what the drama was all about. They, it was a republic, and they were turning the republic into basically a monarchy or an, in an empire. And that's why, that's why Brutus was so upset. But something very similar happened with the children of Israel, with God's people. They had a, they had a, a republic, if you will. They had a loose uh, association of tribes. They, they ran a country kind of haphazardly together. They had some judges. They had some other leaders, but they had no king. And so they, they petitioned God. They asked God. They said, we would like to have a divine right, divine ruler of some sort, somebody that you anoint, somebody that you appoint, and we will follow him. We want a king desperately. And so that man turned out to be Saul. And Saul was the perfect, perfect little Jew boy. He was perfect in everything. He was extremely, he was tall. He was good looking. He was smart. Uh, most of the time he was brave. He did some cowardly things. For the most part, he was, he was, he was a brave man. He, he was successful. He was, he was the perfect person to be king. And God knew it. 
If you know your Bible, you know that he turns out to be the bad guy in the end. But when he started, he was the good guy. He was, he was the man that God had anointed. And, and, and Saul was a simple person. He was a farmer of some sort or a herder. Uh, so he wasn't necessarily somebody of nobility, but he had leadership abilities inside of him. And I'm sure he had a heart for God. And then something happened where, where Samuel the prophet, he prophesied something into Saul's life. He said that you are, you are going, the spirit of the Lord is going to fall upon you and, and you will be able to speak God's directive. Not only will you have the natural ability to lead, but you will have the supernatural ability to hear God. And, and he connects with, I don't know, with some religious people coming down off the mountain. They, they had their, you know, their Holy Ghost experience on the camp, and they came down the mountain, and Saul connects with them. And it was like this, re, it was just this bizarre download from the Holy Spirit into Saul. And the Holy Spirit fell on Saul, and he began to, well, the Bible says that he prophesied. For somebody that had no experience whatsoever, uh, Saul prophesied. Like he was, that things were coming out of his mouth that, he, that were not inside of him. And they said, the Bible says that when he was done prophesying, he became a different man, a different person, completely changed in an instant. New Saul, king. And he did everything that God wanted him to do. He unified the country. He established organization into the country. He brought peace into the country. And he fought his enemies on all sides. So an extreme amount of stress on this individual. He fought enemies on all sides. And he won. And he was successful. Something happens. We don't know what it is. I can't illustrate it for you. But something happened inside of Saul's heart that shifted. We don't, could have been a choice, could have been a desire. Maybe there was something inside of him that wasn't quite right. But whatever it was, something shifted. And the Bible says that, uh, that the Spirit of God left Saul. And you want to you know what happened? It happened because of David. So we have, uh, you know the story of David and Goliath. You know, you know that, that he killed this, this great giant and then he gets ushered into Saul's court and he plays beautiful music for Saul. And then there was this, um, the thing that shifted in Saul was, was jealousy, right? So there was this, there was this jealousy that, that Saul had towards David's, David's ability to connect with God, David's ability to gained favor not only with God, but he gained favor with men too. And so the story, and much like Caesar, is that you have a, you have a, a, a leader, a despot, a, a, somebody that, that, is, that has been brought to the forefront. And that, for lack of a better word, that leader is tainted on some level. Saul was tainted. There was something, there was this bitterness deep down inside Saul that, that disqualified him from him being a leader. Something in Caesar disqualified him, so the Senate said, from being a leader. And David is much like Cassius, and he's much like Brutus. 
and his choices are completely different. You see, as David is being brought into the court of the king, he gets privileges that no one had ever received before. He's won battles. He's killed giants. He has the king's ear. He is the king's counselor. He is uh, the princess's best friend. So Jonathan, Saul's, Saul's son, him and, him and David are best friends. And he eventually will marry the king's daughter. He has everything that a young prince would need to pull off a coup d'etat. Hmm? Saul was so bitter that his bitterness turned him mad. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew that, that now Saul was disqualified from being a leader. And it, the, the ultimate expression of his disqualification is when Saul's impatience... How many people are impatient? Don't raise your hand. Just keep it down. But you know what I'm talking about. We want, we want things and we want them now. Well, this is what disqualified Saul. Because Saul wanted... He wanted power, he wanted breakthrough, he wanted an anointing, he wanted a shortcut, and he wanted it now. And he wanted control. God was silent. You ever prayed to God and reached out to God and you got crickets? You want to know what that means? That's God telling you to be patient. (laughs) I know, it's never fun when you cry out to God and he's silent. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to do what Saul did. And Saul did exactly what Caesar did, and he sought an omen. Hmm? He went to the witch of Endor. Not the one that's in Star Wars. But he went to the witch of Endor, and he says, I want to know the future. I must have control over my future. Why? He wanted power. He wanted control. He felt it slipping through his fingers. Yet he forgot one important thing. He forgot about his relationship with God. Hmm. He forgot about that connection. And when, when Saul did this, the Bible tells us that this, is, this will blow your mind. This will blow your head back. Uh, You have to get into Bible study to work this one out, folks. You can't do this on Sunday morning. The Bible says that an evil spirit came to torment Saul. Okay, that's really bizarre. But more importantly, a few verses down, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The presence of God left Saul at that moment. Because he sought control over the presence of God. He sought, uh, he sought things. He, he, sought, he sought toys and power over a relationship and love. And for some reason, David, David kept this secret. David knew. He, he knew he was strengthened. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he valued God's presence above everything else. In Psalms 51, it says, uh, well, first of all, the, the scripture that, um, that Angela read after our little drama, that was written by King David. Hmm? So he had full, 
full expression of being betrayed by somebody close to him. But in Psalm 51, it says, um, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Wash my heart. Renew a right spirit within me and take not thy presence from me. And he, he prayed this prayer when he got caught doing something really, really naughty. I don't have time to get into that. But he got caught doing something really naughty. And, and, th- and at this point, he is the king. And he chose to be in relationship with God rather than use his power and use his control to get what he wants. All right, so here's the difference between David, who was in the court, and Brutus, who was in the court. David has every right to take the king off of his throne. In fact... Uh, the madness of King Saul compelled him to try and kill David because of David's beautiful music. Saul was throwing spears at David. They didn't connect. It's as if Brutus and Caesar were throwing daggers at Caesar. And they, they, well, those did connect. But you see... What was David's response? David has spears thrown at him. You know what my response would be? My response would be to take the spear out of the wall and throw it back. Right? That's the natural response. So when somebody is throwing spears at you, when somebody has daggers hidden under their cloaks, our natural response is to throw a spear back. David doesn't do that. He doesn't learn how to throw a spear. Uh, I mean, that's, that's completely metaphorical because this is a warrior, right? He knew how to kill giants. He could easily kill a mad king. But he chose not to. Why? Interesting, huh? He, uh, David chose not to hang out with other spear throwers because Inside of Saul's court, it was much like Caesar's court. There was intrigue. There was conspiracy. There were people griping and complaining and grumbling. He could have easily have gathered himself around people like that and could have justified his actions of a coup d'etat. He didn't do that. You know what he does? This is so bizarre. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense in the natural mind. When David was offended and when he was hurt and when he was betrayed and very, you know, for, okay, he didn't literally get stabbed in the heart with a spear, but metaphorically he did. He was betrayed by somebody that he trusted. You know what he does? He leaves. And he leaves by himself. And this young prince, this, this giant killer, hides in caves, sleeps in ditches. He didn't take anybody with him. See, the, the heart of a David says, I recognize the anointing on this person. Yeah, he's a bad guy but I will not lay my hand on God's anointed. And he leaves. And he doesn't recruit out. 
He doesn't take Saul. And, and there were people in Saul's court that wanted to go with him, but he just left. The, the great irony is that the guys that found him, uh, David's mighty men of valor, um, were more like the Sopranos. They were not good guys. <laughs> they were people that owed a lot of money. They were criminals on the run. They were, they were killers and thieves. Those were David's mighty men. And uh, he taught them something very special. That's why they became mighty. All right, so why? What was in David's heart that, that said, okay, I am not going to lay a hand on God's anointed. Why did he do it? Did he do it because he loved Saul? Maybe. But this is why I think he did it. It's because he didn't want to become a Saul. He wanted to remain a David. Does that make sense? So he could have easily have justified deposing the man in charge, but he chose to remain a David. In his betrayal, he chose to work through the pain. And when you get stabbed in the back, and everybody does, you're not special, you're not unique, your pain is no different than anybody else's pain. When you get stabbed in the back, you have to, be, you have to make choices on how to survive. The first choice that we have to make is, one, you have to say, I am going to survive this betrayal. Sometimes when we get stabbed and it goes into our heart, people die. And they fade off, they go away, and, and you never see them ever again. They completely lose hope. It's called a spiritual death. When people are betrayed to the point where they just feel like they can't get up, there's a spiritual death. Now, metaphor, you know, we, we killed Caesar. He was stabbed through the heart. Now, you, maybe you have felt that way but you can still live. So metaphorically, you, you don't have to die when somebody stabs you in the heart. You can survive it. Second thing that we got to do is we have to make sure that, that bitterness does not set in. So there's two responses. One, you're going to survive. You're going to survive this betrayal, right? The second choice that that the believer, the, the person that is growing spiritually, the second choice they have to make in their heart is they have to choose not to get bitter. They have to choose to not let their heart get hardened. Let's look at Ephesians 4 real quick. Ephesians 4, verse 30. You know what? We're not going to bring it up on the screen. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. Just, just listen to the words. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend or vex, or sadden him, by whom you were sealed, marked, branded as God's own, secured for the day of redemption, of final deliverance through Christ from evil and the consequences of sin. Here we go. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath, passion, rage, bad temper, and resentment, anger, animosity, and quarreling Brawling, clamor, contention, and slander, evil speaking, abusive or blasphemous language. Here we go. Be banished from you. Be banished from you with all malice, spite, ill will, uh, baseness of any kind. Okay, here we go. And become useful and helpful and kind to one another, 
tender-hearted. There's the key right there. there. That's the opposite of all those really horrible negative things that I just read off. Tender-hearted. That is the choice not to, to let bitterness change your skin color. See, bitterness will turn you green. And deep down in your heart, it's going to turn your heart into a stone. So you have to choose to become useful and helpful and kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another. There, that's not fun, huh? Forgiving one another readily and freely. And here's the kicker. As God in Christ forgave you. See, we have to... When you're betrayed and you choose not to die and you choose to move on, the next step is to choose not to be bitter, to choose kindness and, and to be tenderhearted. How in the world do you do that when it hurts so bad? I would propose this. Again, you need to do what David did. David has all the right answers in this one. He's got some really bad answers for some other things. But in this case, he's got some really good answers. That, that Psalms, that Psalms 55 that Angela read, that is his, he vents his pain to God. See, bitter, bitter people don't pray about their pain. Bitter people don't, don't express it to God. Bitter people keep it in their heart and they let it get hard and fester. And they say things like, I'm never going to trust anybody ever again. I'm never going to allow somebody to stab me in the back ever again. But see, David didn't do this. David, David goes through the emotions. He gets his emotions out. And you, you listen to it. That was some pretty heavy stuff. David, this man of God, is saying, it is bad enough that, the, that my enemies are out to get me. I hope they all die and burn in hell. That's what he says. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, that's what he says. And he says, but you know what? I could survive that. But God, what I'm having a hard time surviving right now is the one who I worshiped with has betrayed me. Hmm. That's a, that's a different level of pain. The one that I have worshipped with. And in the scriptures, um, the, one, the, the, the way that worship comes across, it's capitalized. It's like it's active. It's, um, it's like you've engaged in, in a spiritual intimacy on a, on a deep level. And that person betrayed David. I, mean, I wonder who it was. I mean, he had a lot of people betray him. His wife could have been Jonathan even. I don't know. It doesn't say that. I'm making stuff up. So don't, don't quote me on that. But something deep happened to him. And he said, I can, I can handle my enemies hating my guts, but my, the people that I worship with, God, how do, I, how do I get beyond this? And in David's heart, he says, I don't know Here's my pain. I put my trust in you, God. 
That's how he does it. He says, I, I give it to you. You see, what David does that we don't do, you know why David was an amazing leader? Because he led out of a place of brokenness. He led out of um, what it says is a contrite heart. He, um, he led from a, a place of relationship and experience, not from a place of rules and regulations. And so when his band of mighty men that show up, like the losers of Israel, hmm, the scum of the earth, when they show up and they are, they're hanging around David, this man, do you, know what's, do you know what's attracting them to him? Is it because he's super successful? He's not, because he lives in caves and ditches. He's got nothing going for him. He's got no money, no power, nothing at all. So that's not what attracted these guys. Was it his incredible administrative abilities? That wasn't it either. He wasn't the best administrator in the whole world. That wasn't it. So when these guys showed up, David's like, okay, here's your rule book, and we're going to start drilling at 6 o'clock in the morning, and you're going to follow my rules, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a system, we're going to work the system, and then we're going to be successful. And like, sign us up. No, these aren't the kind of guys that do that. You know what they experienced? They experienced this, this guy who's like crying in a cave, singing these really sad songs and stuff. They, they see a man that, that is working through his pain. They see a man that is working through his brokenness. That's what attracted them to him. David uh, gets beyond Saul. God's favor is on him. Saul, Saul and Jonathan die. And when your enemies die, our natural person is going to rejoice. Thank you, God, for vindicating me. That was not David's response. David, when Saul died, David's heart was broken. He actually, he actually saw Saul as still being anointed when the anointing had left him years ago. He killed the guys that brought him bad news. He wept for his previous king. He said, look, Saul was anointed. One of the things, one of the huge epidemics in, in the American church maybe in the whole global church, is that we say we have the heart of David, but we really don't. We get so offended when someone in church hurts us. Like here, Here's the honest truth, folks. Here's the, here's, the, here's the gospel truth of the bad news. Everybody has an anointing on them. You do. God's got his hand on your life, and you're to do special things. There are, there, there are spiritual people in this church. There's spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that you can learn from, and they hear from God, and they are anointed. 
but they're still human. And see, David saw this. He, he knew that Saul was human, but he still recognized and honored his anointing. Last week, I talked about two men. The reason why they don't come to church anymore is because they said that they have been hurt in church. I get that. I really do. But just because I have been hurt in church does not disqualify me from going to church. So David passed this test with Saul. Hmm? He becomes king. He does some really naughty things, right? Let's just, you know, I'm like, I'm like building him up to be such a great guy. He did some horrible things. He's like a ladies' man. I keep on forgetting that I'm going to meet these guys in heaven someday. And you know, I was like, I mean, you know, David's probably going to want to beat me up when I get there, right? Because I've, you know, him and Paul and, you know, some of these other guys. I keep on forgetting that they're up there. Um, so he, he makes some bonehead decisions, whatever. God's anointing is still on him. And here's the, oh my gosh, this is, Okay, so you've got Saul on one end of his life, and then the other end of his life, he is in the same position that Saul is at. He's at the same age that Saul was at when this whole drama thing took place. So now he's an older king, and he's got a son, Absalom. He's not quite right in the heart. Absalom is incredibly good-looking. He's buff. He's smart. He's, uh, he's good with people. He's a smooth talker. And he, he's, he's, he's the Cassius. He's, he's breathing in all this intrigue and all these little negative things. He's complaining about the color of the carpet in the temple. Hmm? These little tiny things. He's just dropping them in one by one, and he's seeing who's going to bite. This is the heartbreak of this whole story. This is David's son. And David's son goes on this campaign to dethrone him. It's so tragic. It is, it, it is awful beyond comparison. That, that level of betrayal. You think that you've been betrayed. Your son, the, the, the man that, that will be king someday, is impatient and cannot wait. He is so impatient that he's going to pull a coup d'etat on his own dad. And he's got everybody on board to do it. Well, everybody except for Joab, right? The, the general. And so David, in a sense, he is in the same boat that he was in, I think it was 40 years, 40 years prior that he was with Saul. He's, got, he's in a situation where, once again, somebody is throwing spears at him. And this time, it's his son. Once again, he's got somebody that, that's got daggers hidden in their cloaks, and they're going to come out. And he knows about it. And this time, he's got, well, he had power before. He's got power to take care of the problem. 
And Joab is just pleading with him. He's like, David, don't you realize that, that, that Absalom, he's got, he's got all the guys with money. He's got all the guys with money on his side. Absalom, has got, he's going up to Mount uh, Horeb, and he's going to make an offering. That means he's going to anoint himself. That means he's going to take the crown and place it on his head, and they're going to go to civil war. He says, don't you realize, like, if you, do not, if you do not act quick, if you do not strike now, your son's going to take your kingdom away from you. And, you. and you know what David's response is? Oh, this is so hard, folks. He does, exa- he does exactly what he did 40 years prior. He goes away. He literally just leaves. Why? Because he was determined in his heart not to become a Saul. He wanted to remain a David. And he just he literally walks away from the throne. Maybe around this time, once again he prays this prayer. Don't take your presence from me. He might ask himself this question, Father, God, has, your, has the anointing left me? But you see, the difference between David and Saul is that Saul valued the presence of God more than his position. David valued relationship with God, being able to sense his, his joy and his presence more than the throne. Saul did not. Absalom couldn't even wait to receive God's anointing. He had to crown himself king. Absalom did not value God's presence. Absalom valued the power. power he valued the money. Once again, David is leading from a place of pain, from a place of brokenness, this, this contrite heart. And, I mean, that leadership style, once again, gives him the kingdom. His ability to serve, his ability to, to say, okay, what's more important, my relationship or this, this government? He chooses the relationship. Look, all right, here we go. You want to know why? I follow Jesus. I, I don't follow Jesus because he's given me a really awesome to-do list in the book, in the scriptures. Like, I got this awesome to-do list, and if I just follow Jesus' to-do list, I'm going to be okay. Hmm? Or it's not that I don't follow Jesus because he's given me this incredible self-help book in the Bible where I can become a better person and I can contribute more to society. That's not why I follow Jesus, folks. I don't, I don't follow Jesus because he was a good man. There's, there's good men and good women that I could follow. I can get a self-help book at the Oprah Book Club, right? I, I could. If I want a spiritual, you know, guru, I'll, I'll follow Gandhi, whatever. You want to know why I follow Jesus? It's not because he's given me a to-do list. It's not because he's given me a guide. The reason why I follow Jesus is because he has suffered for me. 
He has shown me that he led out of his pain. Jesus suffered for me. That, that's why I serve Jesus. When, when Jesus was stabbed in the back and bleeding on the floor, the reason why I followed Jesus is because he chose not to die. And he chose not to die for me. He chose not to die for you. And this incredible God, man, not only does he choose not to die, but he chooses not to let bitterness take over his heart because people stabbed him in the back. And here's, here's the gospel truth. You know who did it? I did. And you did. We, it was the sin of the world that put Jesus on the cross. That's why he did it. And we've got to put this in, in our mind. Each and every time that oh man, this is going to be heavy. This is going to feel guilt, like a guilt trip, but take, please don't take this as a guilt trip. Every time you sin, you stab Jesus in the back. Every time you choose to follow your own will or to try to get control over something within your own power and not to surrender to Jesus, you have stabbed him in the back. And sometimes the betrayal towards Jesus is so strong that it even cuts into the heart. But here's the thing. When, even, when Jesus is stabbed in the heart by humanity, he does not die. That's why I follow Jesus. This is the secret that David was able to find. He was able to lead to his pain. We don't have any young folks in here, do we? All right, I have a few. Um, I don't know, you and maybe some young folks. Uh, I'm really honored that, that you guys are honoring me today. I, again, I don't like, I hate surprise birthday parties. I'm just that kind of a guy, right? So thank you for, it's really sweet. I'm flattered. But I'm going to tell you how to pick a leader. Because chances are, uh, I won't be your last pastor on, the, on this planet, especially if you're young. Hmm? Beware of leaders that control and that manipulate. Definitely beware of leaders that have anointed themselves. <laughs> huh? Those are the ones you need. The ones that pull the Napoleon are the ones that you want to stay away from. Beware of leaders, whether it's a senior leader or a, a you know a leader inside the church. Beware of a leader that divides. Absalom's. That Absalom did all of his work in in the gate. Hmm? Before you enter, you, know, you enter in through the gates with thanksgiving and into his courts of praise. Absalom, his strategy was to head everybody off by the, at the gate and to begin to, to, to speak in his lies and to divide and to snipe. So no, at no matter what level, even secular, you, you, beware of leaders that snipe, that, that say a sweet word one moment and a griping word the next to divide close friends. Young people, don't follow leaders like that. And as far as spiritual leaders go, follow a leader 
no matter how, ah, boy, this is tough. No matter how many faults they may have or how many, you know, maybe they're a little messed up or a little weird or whatever, but always choose the leader that's going to value the presence of God over position. Like they ought to be talking more about get with God and it will change your life. Can't you sense his Holy Spirit? Can't you see he's doing an incredible work inside of your heart? Connect with that. Instead of the leader that says, let me tell you about authority and my chain of command. Spiritual leaders, they lead from a broken and a contrite heart. Ones that have, uh, well, John Wimber said this. So they don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. All right, I have to, I have to stop. <laughs> so we're out of time. If I could have the band and the ushers come to the front. As we uh, received the offering this morning, um, it's tough. I know. I mean, money is a, money is a touchy thing. And, you know, so we have, um, we have what we call the tithe, and, and I get that. And maybe that's an issue for you. If it's an issue for you, um, if you feel like the tithe is religious, I get it. But I want to encourage you to give from the heart. And, and why should you? Uh, I mean, I guess you could divvy up your, your God money between here and TBN and World Vision and all these different things and animal rescue, whatever, whatever you want to do with your, with your charitable giving. Uh, you could do that. I'm going to tell you, though, uh, this church, well, first of all, the church of Jesus Christ is the best thing to invest your God money into. And this church, this church is about Building people, metaphorically speaking, that can kill giants. That's a really good thing to invest God's money into. Where, whenever I see young people, I want to make them giant killers. Whenever I see people that are coming in and and they have a broken heart and a contrite heart, I'm like, oh, good, I've got something to work with. I don't, have to, I don't have to work through pride or ego or anything else. And we, if we get those people, we know, how to, we know how to minister to them. We know how to empower them and how to speak life into them. We know how to take people away from religion and, and, and into relationship. And that's what you're giving towards. And so I just want to encourage you, give with your heart. It's a good thing. Let's pray. God, right now, there is, there's mysteries that we don't understand, but we know and we have record of people that have, that have learned specific secrets on breakthrough, on connecting with God, on not becoming a Saul, 
not becoming an Absalom. So, Father, right now, I just pray that this church will just receive uh, the Holy Spirit and that, uh, that deep down inside there will be nothing that will separate, separate us from God's presence. That we will have that cry of our hearts, God, don't, don't let your spirit depart from me. Whatever, whatever it takes, don't let your spirit depart from me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, we thank you so much for this faithful church family, and I just pray that you will just uh, continue to grow this church body, that it becomes healthy, growing, and influential. Thank you so much for the commission and the vision that you've given us. Bless this offering.